straw hat on now. Tell them. <laughs> oh, they do a great job. Okay, happy Easter. Okay, uh, as, uh, as you probably noticed, last week we went away from our First Corinthians series, and we're also going to do this week because it's kind of an important holiday. So we're going to spend some time talking about that today. Uh, now, I want to lay the groundwork first. I'm going to try to behave myself and not preach too long. We'll see how that goes. Um, but the Old and the New Testament are full of agricultural references and illustrations. They're just full of them. And, and that's because farming was and still is the most important industry in any culture. Because everyone understands one thing. They may not understand business. They may not understand finance or marketing. But everybody understands that if we want to sustain life, we need to grow our own food. I mean, we get that. Now, I'm di- stick with me here. I'm laying the groundwork. I'm not going to preach on farming the whole time, I promise. But the English word agriculture comes from two Latin words. Okay, two Latin words. First is the Latin word agra, meaning field. Uh, and the second is cultura, meaning to cultivate. And when the two words, you know, come together, it's agricultura, and it means the cultivation of land. Now, farming, you know, and I don't know because I am not a farmer. I like to eat it. That's about it. But farming can be, um, I mean, physically and mentally exhausting job. I always pick on Dave. He always says, I only work on Sundays. And I said, well, all you do is plant the crop and wait till it comes back up and go get it. I mean, what do you have to say? But it is a physically, you know, and mentally exhausting job. But the, but the concept is pretty simple. The process is pretty simple. Uh, the farmer introduces seed into a land that it previously didn't grow. They introduce it into a land it previously didn't grow. Then they, they work the field and they sacrifice their time and they sacrifice their skill. Uh, and they work with the crop until it, it grows up and something totally different comes up. Now, why explain farming in an Easter message? You've probably been wondering that. Because that process is really similar to what God did with his son Jesus and what we're celebrating today. See, God introduced his son Jesus to a land that he did not belong. See, Jesus did not belong here. He came here on our behalf. Then he cultivated the land that he went to with the teachings of the gospel and the teachings of this new grace covenant. So God placed his son like a righteous seed in a foreign land. And the righteous seed sprang up and became stronger than it ever was before it was planted. And like the farmer's crop, his righteous seed still brings life to all who consume it. Now, that's why, you know, one agricultural reference you're going to see a lot in the Old and the New Testament uh, is referring to the Son of Man or, or, or God's Son, Jesus. The reference I'm talking about is seed. Okay, the reference is seed, and it's used a lot of different ways. But I'm going to, basically the idea is, has two uses in the, in the New Testament. Okay, uh, first it means to plant something, which I think is pretty simple. And second, it means a descendant of somebody. All right, when you're using it about planting something, you'd say like planting a seed of grain. When you're using it like a descendant, you'd say he was the seed of David, the seed of Abraham. That's how it was used mainly. Now, I'm going to give you a gross fact here. You guys ready for this gross fact? It's kind of gross. I'm not going to lie. Okay, the word seed comes from the Greek word sperma, and it's used 44 times in the New Testament. Yep. Guess what English word we get from that one? Yeah, that's all I got to say about that. But now, to my point, you know, today we celebrate the fact that Jesus was the seed of righteousness that God planted to defeat death, hell, and the grave and to redeem anyone and everyone who would believe. That's what we're celebrating today. Today's sermon uh, isn't, you know, the traditional Easter message, but I believe it's going to give you a new insight to the resurrection. I think that's important that we keep sharpening our insight. So the title of today's message is The Seed of Righteousness, and 
He was planted as God's first and only son and planted to grow into the Savior and Redeemer of the world. Now, since his mother was a descendant of David, he was called the seed of David. But since he was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, he was also considered the seed of God. Okay, now there's the groundwork. Let's jump right in. Now, I call this section the battle of the seed. Let me start this from the very beginning. Okay, you guys all know the story of Adam and Eve, right? How the woman screwed everything up that was perfect. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's not how it works. No, but, um, you know, after Adam and Eve both together made the mistake, right, uh, they were called to, you know, call before God for judgment. And so was the serpent, a.k.a. Satan. Because after he deceived Adam and Eve, he had to face God's judgment. Because even the devil is under his hand at all times, all right? Now, listen to this, Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the servant, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field, and on your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Okay, now the word enmity in the Hebrew is the word eba, and it means hostility. It means hostility. And God said that there was going to be hostility between the seed of woman and between the seed of Satan. Again, the seed of woman was referring to Jesus, who was, you know, born of a virgin. See, man had nothing to do with the birth of Jesus. The Holy Spirit did, so they can't call it, uh, you know, he's not the seed of man, he's the seed uh, of woman. Now, Satan's seed is referring to demons or anybody who anybody who's carrying out his kingdom pur his you know dark kingdom purposes now we saw the hostility god was talking about several times in scripture but in verse 15 he said there'd be hostility between the the, the seed of man of the devil and the seed of woman and we see that really clearly when jesus had to face the jewish leaders that last week of jesus life we really get to see the hostility that he was talking about in genesis and that was just one example you're going to see many examples but that's just one example uh, of these two seeds being at war. And now it, here's the thing that people misunderstand. It is possible, it is possible to be unknowingly serving the enemy's cause, right? It is possible. And Jesus actually called out the people who are about to crucify him for that very thing. Look at this, John 8, 44. He says, you are of your father the devil. Now think about this. You guys think I say some rude things, Right? You guys think I'm blunt. Listen to this. Jesus looks at him and said, You are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, uh, whatever, I'm sorry, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And again, this is just one of many battles between the seed of woman and the, and the seed of Satan. But the one common denominator you're going to see in every one of those battles is that the seed of woman always wins. Jesus always wins. And sometimes I think we forget that because sometimes as believers, we get defeated. You ever been defeated as a believer? And sometimes we forget that we become a part of the seed of righteousness when we believe. So his victories are our victories. And his ability to overcome is our ability to overcome. But so many times we become defeatist and we forget if you read the scriptures, there were all kinds of problems that the disciples, the apostles faced in the scriptures. But one thing was always true. When you're doing the will of God, you will win because the seed of woman always defeats the seed of the enemy. Now, when God judged him in the garden, you notice he also planted another seed called prophecy because 
After judging Satan, he warned him of impending judgment about the heel, about bruising his heel and he would bruise your head. He was warning him about a future judgment that was yet to come. And that future judgment is, Jesus is going to be the one, when everything's over, to cast Satan into the lake of fire. See, one popular misconception we have is that the devil's in hell. You ever hear people, you know, or watch cartoons and they show the devil with the big pointy tail? I don't know where that came from. The horns and the pointy tail and the pitchfork. When I was a kid, I was terrified to use a pitchfork because of that. But anyway, I mean, we, we see him like reigning on a throne in hell. That's not true. He's walking around this world seeking whom he might devour. When he walked into heaven, because he still has access, and I'm not sure why I'll ask him when I get there, but God said, what have you been doing? And he said, oh, you know, just roaming about the world to and fro, seeking who I can devour. That's what he's doing right now. But in the end, ultimately, he's going to be defeated, and God told him that. Now, here's where we start to get more into the meat of the message, okay? In keeping with the theme of, of, of seeds, uh, the way a seed produces increase is amazing. Now, I, like I said, I don't know a lot about farming, but I studied this. See, when you grow a plant, what you put in the ground is not what comes out. What you put in the ground is totally different than what comes out of the ground. For example, if you plant seed of corn, not one piece of corn comes up. Can you imagine how long it would take to get a whole bowl of corn if that's the way it was? Right? I mean, if you plant corn, not one little kernel comes up. A stalk comes up that bears a lot of, of corn cobs filled with corn. That's, it's totally different than, than when it went into the ground. So it's a totally different form. And, and in a way, this, this, the seed is kind of deceptive. Because when you pick up the seed, it's, it's hiding or concealing its true identity. That's not what that seed is going to become. Are you following me? That's not what it's going to become. What goes into the ground is not what comes out of the ground. Are you following me? Now, this excites me. It's, it's totally different. It's kind of deceptive. It kind of hides its true identity. Identity. So, you know, simply looking at a seed won't reveal what it's going to be, just looking at this little seed. But that seed has a destiny. And the, the only way that destiny can be revealed is for it to be planted and then nourished, Right? So seed is basically destiny concealed. That's what it is when you pick up a seed. It's destiny concealed. But the plant that comes out of the ground is destiny revealed. It's revealing the true nature of the seed that was put in the ground. Right? Now the same is true with the seed of woman or Jesus. Because physically, Jesus was God concealed as a man. Now if someone just walked by him on the street, they wouldn't have went, whoa, that's the son of God. And if you ever notice when they paint pictures of Jesus, how many people have ever seen the knocking at the door picture of Jesus? You guys see that? And he looks like a surfer from San Diego. You guys ever notice that? He's got long flowing blonde hair and blue eyes and, you know, the, the 70s beard going on there. And I just kept thinking all they need to do is paint a Volkswagen, you know, van in the back of that picture. Because the Bible tells us that's not what he looked like. He was a Jew. And this sounds really mean, and you're probably all going to freak out that I'm saying this, but he was ugly. Because the Bible says he was not one to be looked upon. Because if he were to come and be this big, handsome, good-looking, strapping man, they may have made him king and messiah just because how he looked, like they did Saul. So he wasn't going to be a good-looking man. So if you walked by him, you wouldn't have known that he was God. So he was God concealed as a man. But like that seed, he had a bigger destiny than that, than what he appeared as on this earth. So what would it take to reveal his true identity 
he had to die. He had to die to reveal his true identity. See, a seed is simply a pod that contains ingredients to transform it into a plant. That's all a seed is. And when the seed is planted, the pod dies so that the plant inside of that pod can grow and be transformed into something totally different. Listen to how Jesus described this process in John's Gospel. John 12, starting in verse 23. It says, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and what? And dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. The Apostle Paul said something similar in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 15, 35. It says, But someone may ask, how will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? You know, it's funny when I read that, I hear that all the time. You ever wonder that, what we're going to look like? You ever wondered that? People say, are we going to be the little fat babies floating around with bows and arrows and wings? I don't think so. I hope not. I was fat my whole life on earth. I don't want to be that way in heaven, you know? Uh, people say, well, are you gonna, but what's his body going to look like? I'm like, I don't know. It's going to be glorified. Probably something like this. No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. But I, this question gets asked often. Okay, verse 36. What a foolish question. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but the only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you are planting. Then God gives it what? the new body he wants it to have a different plant grows from each kind of seed now jesus knew in order to reveal his true identity and his true potential he had to die he knew that from the time he was born that he was born to die as the savior of the world then and only then could he prove once and for all who he really was and no one could deny it he was the son of god the messiah that they've been waiting for the redeemer of the world that was his true identity but you couldn't see it when he was just a seed when he was just walking on this earth see when someone believes we go through a similar process when we believe when you believe you change now i don't know if you notice this i heard this my whole life people say listen if you'll trust in jesus you're going to become someone totally different and i used to look at them and think that is the dumbest thing i've ever heard it made no sense to me and they said, you're going to be transformed into something totally different. And I'm like, I don't get that. But when I believe that happened to me, who I was before I believed and who I was after I believed was two totally, completely different people. The Apostle Paul said we become a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. And the old things have passed away. And that was what you know, made it possible was I had, to, I had to actually die to this world. I had to say, I'm done doing it your way. I'm going to trust God. And when I did that, I became dead to this world and alive in Christ. This process follows us all throughout Scripture. And when Jesus was on the cross, it's kind of funny. When Jesus was on the cross, Satan thought he had won, that he had ruined God's plan. All right? The other day, I was asked a very good question, right? And, and it, it permeated my mind. I kept thinking about that. And the question was, did Satan know Jesus would defeat death because he knows God's word from front to back? better than any of us did he know that he was fighting a losing battle and that's a really good question i thought about it and then it came to me realized satan got booted out of heaven not because he wasn't paying rent but because when he was in heaven he tried to overthrow god he literally thought 
he could overthrow God in his own kingdom. He was that arrogant to believe he could overthrow God in his own kingdom. And here's my answer. If he was so arrogant as to believe that he could put together a small band of marauders and overthrow heaven, what makes you think he's not that arrogant now? He's absolutely that arrogant now, and I fully believe he thinks he can outwit God. He thought he could. And on Friday, when he was hanging on that cross, he was probably rejoicing. He was probably looking up to heaven saying, I told you I'd win. You just prolonged the inevitable. I told you I'd win. And he hears him suffering, and he's probably rejoicing and laughing, but little did he know God had a surprise for him. And that's so amazing, because I can just see God going, keep talking. Keep talking, because Satan, it's just Friday. It's just Friday. And like the song we sang uh, this, this past uh, Good Friday, Sunday was yet to come. Sunday's coming. God had a surprise for Satan. But before Jesus tied on the cross, he said something, and I believe Satan misunderstood what he was saying. Look at this, John 19, 28. John 19, 28. It says, after this, Jesus, knowing all things had already been accomplished to fulfill the scripture, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. Therefore, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, what? It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, I don't think Satan understood what he was saying there. You know what I think? I think Satan thought that was an admission of defeat. I think Satan heard that and he said, you're dang right it's finished, and I won. You're the one hanging on a cross about to die. You're the one about to be stuffed in a tomb, and here I stand. I won. I think that's how Satan thought. But Sunday hadn't came yet. Sunday had not come yet. See, Satan thought Jesus was dead when they placed him in that tomb. So he's probably thinking, now he's dead and buried. I've won. Now let me get to work. Let me do what I want to do with this world. But he was counting his demons before they hatched. Okay? He was counting his demons before they hatched. Because what Satan didn't know was, they didn't bury Jesus. They planted Jesus. They planted him. The righteous seed, they planted Jesus. And I, that, just, that makes my skin get goosebumps all over it. And like any good seed, now the destiny that was concealed in his body was going to be revealed because he died to this world and was about to be revealed as the Messiah, the Son of God. Never look at Jesus as being, as being buried. Look at him as being planted. The seed of righteousness was planted so that the King of Righteousness could come out of the grave. I just think that's so powerful. Now let's look at Luke 24. Starting in verse 1, it says... But on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Now, this is a big thing to see the stone rolled away. Because, I mean, they would usually have these, these burial caves would be on a lower elevation. And they would take stones that usually weigh between one and 4,000 pounds, some bigger. And they would set them on the hill and roll them. That's the only way they could get them in place because nobody could lift them. So they'd push them down. So in order to move that stone, someone would have to push it uphill. Uphill, 4,000 pounds to move it. This is a big deal. Verse 2, And they found the stone was rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body 
of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. Now this was angels, and people always ask me, why do they appear as men? Because we couldn't handle what they look like. They're a totally different creation. We've seen way too many horror films. We would freak out and run and not listen to a word they had to say. That's what would happen. I'm just saying. Okay, but they, this was two angels. It said they appeared in dazzling clothing, like Elton John. Anyway, verse 5. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? That has to be one of my favorite lines in all of Scripture. Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is what? He is risen. He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day, what? Rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. You know why women were the first ones to the tomb? Because he needed to make sure that got spread quickly. Just saying. You're welcome. I need a drum roll on that one. You know? Uh, verse 10. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna, Mary and, uh, and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Also the other women with them were telling them these things, uh, telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them uh, as nonsense. And they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. And he saw the linen wrappings only. And when he went away to his home, marveling at what had happened. I just, this is so powerful. I mean, I know I've said this before, but these angels cracked me up. They cracked me up. They, when they said, why do you seek the living one among the dead? They weren't trying to get a popular tagline they could put on social media. That literally was a question that they could not understand. They couldn't fathom. They're like, I didn't really think they'd come. They really thought that a third part of the triune God, the Redeemer of the world, the Creator of all things, the Bible tells us all things were created through Him and by Him, they really believed that those people that He created were going to beat Him? They really thought He was going to be here? When they asked this question, they were honestly shocked that they believe that and they probably thought no wonder these people need a redeemer they are dumb as a bag of rusty hammers why are they here why would they think that he would be here and i'll bet that in the angel break room somewhere in heaven they laugh about this to today that people actually went there expecting to see god defeated and lying in a tomb they expected to see that but what's really special about this whole story and about this whole message is now it's our turn. You see, when Jesus was planted, he was planted to show us that there's going to be a transformation for those who believe in him. For those who believe in his death, burial, and resurrection and trust their eternity to that, there's going to be a transformation in those people. You may be sick. You may have cancer. You may be struggling. You know what I mean? You may have problems. But listen, take comfort in this. That's you're just the seed of who you are going to be right now. Who you are now is not who's going to come out of that grave. And I don't know about you guys, but praise God for that. Um, have you guys noticed that the older we get, the more sounds we make when we stand up and walk? You know what I mean? Have you noticed 
that you can... I, how many people have ever hurt themselves sleeping? I didn't think that was possible. I have got out of bed before and pulled something. You know? I hate this body. You know, and I, I always think to myself, just suck it up and put some Bengay on it, Chris. This is just a seed. It's not what's going to be spending eternity with God. This is just the seed. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, who's that man? Adam. Adam brought death. By a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made what? Alive. All will be made alive. You know, Jesus didn't just defeat death for himself. He didn't just defeat death for himself. He defeated death for all who would believe. And anyone who would believe. That's who he defeated death for. He was the first seed to achieve its full potential in identity. He was the first seed to be completely transformed. He was the first one, but he was not the last. He was not the last. I know this sounds awful, but when I, when I see an Easter service, have you ever been to an Easter service that's really glum? And it's like, oh, poor Jesus died. Yeah, I mean, that's sad. Except if he didn't, we'd all be in hell, so I'm not that sad, right? So when I see this, I actually am excited because I think what great love it took. What powerful love it took to experience all of that, not for himself, but for us. Imagine the love it took to leave the shores of heaven where there was nothing wrong in his life and become a man. And when I say he became a man, he was all man and all God. He could stub his toe. He could crack and pop when he stands up, right? He could be hurt. He could be betrayed. He allowed himself to become that, not to be elevated as king, not to be praised and to be worshipped. He did all that to die and to be placed in a tomb that he didn't even have the money to pay for. He had to borrow it. The nice thing is, it's barely used. You know what I mean? He borrowed that tomb, right? I can't even imagine leaving heaven to die and be put into a tomb, but he did it so he could rise again raised up in glory so that we could be raised up in glory. I think that is so, so powerful. He may have been the first to defeat death, but he's not the last, because now we have two. And like Jesus, when believers die, we are going to be completely transformed, completely transformed. We become what God designed us to be in our perfect form. We actually become that. And, and also like Jesus, we are never buried. When a believer goes into the ground, they're being planted. It's a seed that's being planted so that what comes up from that grave is beautiful. Whenever I preach a funeral, and I've done hundreds, when they're a believer, I say, listen, we're at this graveside to honor the memory of your loved one. But make no mistake, your loved one is not in this grave. They're not in this grave. You never bury a believer. You plant the old body, the seed that carried them. And you know what happens to it? It goes back to the dust. But what comes out is not what went in. Because you get that new body. You never actually enter 
the grave. It never happens to any believer because we become completely transformed. The pod that concealed our identity, it goes back to the earth. But we are revealed by who we become when we are resurrected. I just can't get enough of that. Because I'm telling you, when the old body that concealed our destiny is gone, God's going to reveal our true destiny. And I just think that's amazing. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm stoked about it happening anyway. And this is an eternity that He's promised us. An eternity that He's promised us. You know, when you've lost a loved one, it's tough. It's hard. But every Easter, it should bring a smile to your face. Because every Easter, it should remind you that your loved one isn't dead and they're not in a grave. They are more alive than they've ever been because the old seed has finally been planted and what's come up is something new and something amazing and something perfect and something beautiful. And know this, if you're a believer, you're going to go see exactly what that is someday. You're going to get to see that. And I don't know about you, my mother passed away of cancer when I was just 15 years old. I cannot wait to see what she looks like now. I got to see the seed, now I want to see the flower. You know what I mean? So I don't know what seed you planted what family member, what friend passed away. But if they're a believer, don't think about that seed because it's gone. Think about the flower that you have yet to see. Because since Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave, since Jesus was resurrected, we also are resurrected. So Easter is not a solemn, sad holiday. It's a time we celebrate the fact that, praise God, this isn't all we get. And praise God, there is no grave that can hold our bodies. I used to joke and say, "Here's." Now I have a weird imagination. I think you guys know that. But I always saw Jesus being put in the tomb and just kicking the door out of the back of that thing. You know what I mean? And saying, now this grave has two entrances. It, entrance, exit. Nobody stays in here who believes in me. That's how I see it. And that's how I feel about Easter. Because it's the day we get to celebrate all those things. I'm going to go ahead and close there. You go ahead and bow your head. If this is your first time here, we always like to give a brief invitation. And we don't ask people to come up front. We don't do that. We don't point people out. I don't chase people down. But we always want to pray for everybody. Anybody who needs prayer, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're not sure where you stand with God. Maybe you've lost your way. Just make eye contact and put your head right back down. And I promise I'm going to be praying. Bless those people. Bless those people. I'm going to be praying for you. Bless those people. And I appreciate you praying for me those people because listen we're all in this together we're all seeds going into the same garden and coming up the same way we believe if we can't pray for each other we're in trouble and if you're watching or listening online I'm going to pray for you as well but believers we have such a huge responsibility and I fear that we've lost our way you know Easter should remind us what's at stake What's at stake is what happens to that seed once it's placed in the ground. And we have the ability to ensure that it comes up into something beautiful just by sharing the gospel and becoming more passionate about our faith. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for all that you do. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your kindness. I just thank you, God, for your grace. There's nothing that any of us can do to deserve heaven. I still don't deserve heaven, and I never will. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be righteous enough. I'm not going to deceive myself and think that there's anything good in me because the only thing good in me is your spirit that you placed in me the day I believe. But God, there are people out there who want 
to have a relationship with you, but maybe religion or some a bad church experience or a bad experience in life has pushed them away from it, confused it. Clear their minds and let them realize that the whole reason you came and allowed yourself to take on that body just to be killed is to make a way for them to have eternal life, just like they are. You're not asking them to change, you're asking them to believe. Any changes that need to happen, you'll make it. But the way you die with your arms stretched out is how you still stand for anyone who will believe. And if they make that decision, I just pray they contact us. God, for those of us who are believers, we're good at complaining. We're good at being spectators. Make us good at being ministers of the gospel, sharing our faith, ensuring that that beautiful garden of seeds that are being resurrected as your son was resurrected, let us be passionate and helpful and and determined to make sure we help plant as many of those seeds as we can. Give us a love for the gospel again. We just pray, God, that as we leave here, you would keep us safe. Let us live what we profess. And if you don't return to take us home before we meet again, we just pray we would get the opportunity to come together one more time and give you the praise, honor, and glory. So, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name.